Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another episode with an interview and an exciting interview today. I'm very excited to bring you today's guest for the very first time. We're going to Europe to speak to our very first ever European athlete on the show from the great nation of Switzerland, Barnaby Delars, who is a rower, our only second ever rower. Can you believe it? We have not had a rower on this show since Kim Brennan, way back in 2016, talking to us about her then gold medal, fresh gold medal win in Rio. And this is a fascinating and fun chat with Barnaby because we learn a lot, not only about Barnaby, but the sport of rowing in Switzerland, how he ended up in rowing from a very different sport that is not in any way related to rowing, and just everything else in between. Barnaby's a great guy, great entertaining guy, and you're going to learn so much about him and just Switzerland. There's... Roger Federer references, because of course it couldn't be anything talking about Switzerland without Roger Federer, thanks Channel 7, and just everything else in between. And I'll tell you one thing, after this interview, I'm getting on a plane to Switzerland, because it sounds like a country that I need to visit, and I uh, hope to get there very, very soon. So, without further ado, here's our chat with Swiss Olympic rower, Barnaby Delage. Excited for our next guest on Off the Podium today. Obviously, as a co-Canadian Australian podcast, we have a large focus on athletes from both Canada and Australia. We've sort of delved outside Canada and Australia a bit. We've talked to Americans, we've talked to New Zealanders, we've even talked to Jamaicans, but we have never gone to Europe, and that means we've never gone to Switzerland. And I'm very excited for our guest today to break that duck and finally learn a little bit more about that part of the world. And the sport of rowing, too, is a sport we haven't featured on this show since 2016. Our guest today is a World Championship silver medalist, a European Championship medalist, a World Cup medalist, junior World Cup gold, so many different uh, medals across the way, and a two-time Olympian, having just returned from Tokyo as well at his second Olympics. And I'm so excited to learn about the journey and everything else in between. Barnaby Delaz is his name and he's with me now. Barnaby, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a, it's a pleasure to bring the European flavour to the show for once. Uh, thanks a lot for bringing me along. And uh, it's an honour to be the first uh, European and, and, and Swiss on this show. So, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> More important, the Swiss aspect. That's kind of where we yeah, need to obviously. kind of... Is that, is that even Europe? We're not sure. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's Geographically, <laughs> it is, but we're not in the EU, so... Yes, wow. Just all neutral, right? Just out of everything, you know? Exactly, kind of exactly. Just, uh, 
kind of uh, sticking to that. I, I'm actually really fascinated by your career, your your journey sort of into rowing in the Olympics, because I love reading your bio and the fact that it, it seemed like I usually ask what sports did you play as a kid? I kind of want to ask what sports you didn't play as a kid, because it seems like here that you just kind of uh, had a bingo card and like, I'm going to play this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I mean, was there a sport you didn't play as a kid, Barnaby? <laughs> yeah, so you, you found out on my website or... Or where I did, did. You find that? yes. Yeah. Great, great it's website only, it's, too. It's all in French, is it? I don't well, think I, I, there's that. a magic of translation. I'd like yeah, to pretend yeah, yeah, I yeah. speak French fluently and we could just start doing this in French, but uh, I'd probably get about three words <laughs> in and have to start going, okay, back yeah. to English. So, yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's on my list. I have to translate it to an English version, but that's when I have a bit more time. But, yeah, um, as you said, I've, I've tried a lot of sports, Um but I've never really stuck to one because like up until I started rowing. So I started at like 13 years old. Um, and then before that I was uh, in a school where, so in Switzerland, like there's no really, um, there's no such thing as, as so school sports. Mm-hmm. So there's no school team, um, especially in the, um, so the, the state school, public school, uh, yeah, the one you don't pay for, uh, there's nothing sports wise. And I'm, up until I was 10, I was in a, in a private school. So um, we had more um, offers to, to try at sports. Um, so I, every year I, I picked one or two and, and, and had to go at it. Um, but it was never, I was never competing really uh, for any of them. Um, and then I uh, moved place, came, um, arrived in Lausanne. So my, my, my hometown. Um, and uh, I started rugby, and that's the first one. Even though it's pretty small or very small in Switzerland, especially compared to you guys in Australia, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a, it's the same spirit. Uh, it's really great, uh, cool guys, uh, cool atmosphere. Um, that's the first sport I, I would say I stuck to really uh, for a couple of years. Um, competed a bit uh, at the Swiss level, which wasn't wasn't great, but. Um, yeah, and as I said, it was pretty small, so there wasn't a lot of training. There wasn't a lot of uh, uh, even competition, competition, and and especially in the winter, there was almost nothing, um, especially for the the the, the younger guys. Um, so I was living by the lake, and I thought I would give rowing a go. And at first, it was just a, a way to 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 have a bit more training. Um, I was doing both for one or two years. Um, and again, as rugby was really small back then, it's still small, but it evolved a bit since then. But um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of going on. So I, yeah, I, I slowly um, yeah, stuck to rowing and, and, and went from there. But uh, the first two years, I was really shit, really, <laughs> really shit. I came last at Swiss Champs, uh, which, is, which isn't great. Um, and then... Yeah, after two years of, of being last, um, I thought it was enough and I would start training properly and then it went from there and, and uh, never looked back really. Which it's, it's fascinating to kind of have that journey when, you know, we have athletes on the show who maybe started in one sport, go to another, and you can kind of connect them. But, yeah, rowing and, and rugby, maybe not two that I associate too much with it, with each other there. So it's kind of uh, – I, I don't know how many rowers out there – Barnaby have kind of started off in rugby and then ended up in rowing. I don't know if there's a select uh, one of you guys. <laughs> probably not in, uh, definitely not in Switzerland. Uh, maybe a bit more in uh, in England, for example. 
or even maybe in Australia because, but or at least in England, it's two of the main sports, so uh, it's not uncommon to see uh, some switch back and forth to those those sports, and they both have a kind of a yeah British culture, and uh, so that's that's how they would be linked. But other than that, and also I'd say you have to be quite big, uh, quite tall in both sports. So that's maybe the, the connection between them. Um, Which it's, but yeah, other it's, than that, it's, it's pretty different. <laughs> it's it's interesting to kind of hear sort of the, the Swiss rugby scene because, I mean, there's a whole interview in that in itself, kind of just, you know, talking a little bit about that because, it yeah, it's a sport that when I'm thinking of nations of rugby and particularly in Europe, you know, Switzerland's not exactly one of the first countries I think of. So, I mean, is it sort of one of these sports that, as you're saying, sort of it's, it's very small, but it, it's growing. Like this is something that, that rugby sort of taking off a little bit more in, in Switzerland. It's definitely growing uh, or it has grown since I started. Uh, for example, back in, so it was 10 years ago now, um, even more, um, 15 actually, um, there wasn't any championships for up until like juniors or under 18, I'd say. Um, it was just like, uh, small games on the weekends, uh, small tournaments. We would play shorter games against uh, multiple team uh, in one day. Um, and then, as I said, in the winter, there wasn't any training. And now, uh, hopefully, uh, they introduce a championship in every category. So uh, all the way to the to the kids. Um, and yeah, but it's still quite small. And uh, the national team um, is nowhere near the top uh either in in league or, or sevens um but they, we have a few guys now which are taking it a bit more seriously and especially um if you go to geneva next to the french border um there's one or two team i think there's a a team in geneva who play in the um, uh, in the um, uh, pro d2 so it's the second league of the french championship um so that's the only one which is like semi-pro i'd say uh, but other than that, the the culture of rugby, I think it's mostly brought from the expats who are like who used to play at a good level, uh, either in France, uh, England, um, and sometimes overseas as well, like Australia or or some of the the island like Samoa or stuff like that. And they they come here for work um, and they still want to play rugby, so they they we we have a a lot of like expats playing with the. Um, like the the elite can well, not elite, but like the the main team, um, and that's kind of a uh, we go from there, and then yeah, most of the guys from Switzerland they start late and they join the team, and um, if they fit, they get the game quite quite fast, and then uh, yeah, there's a yeah a cool championship, but it's not we still have a long way to go and unfortunately the football is way bigger than than rugby it's a shame but <laughs> i Which, wish it was the other way around but yeah yeah it's, i mean i remember when i was living in new zealand and, and working for a newspaper i did a story uh the the coach of the georgian national team was a was a kiwi mm. and sort of learning a lot about how rugby developed in in georgia and of course you know they're quite a big powerhouse in, in europe yeah, and yeah. go to the world cup and everything so i mean i guess there's that that room for growth that if it's sort of it's moving forward that way that uh you know a country like switzerland and could who knows eventually qualify for a, for a rugby world cup or maybe an olympics in in sevens yeah that would be that would be amazing yeah but i think we still have maybe 10 or 15 years to go before we see that at least 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. But uh, as much as I'd love to keep talking about Swiss rugby, we're obviously here to talk about your <laughs> career and, and, and rowing. I mean, sort of through all the sports, so I'm seeing on your website here that you try things like skiing, basketball, rock climbing, football, judo, karate, fencing, sailing. Now, one thing I'm noticing here is they're all Olympic sports, obviously rock climbing, you know, technically with sports climbing. So was there kind of a, a harboring ambition then deep inside Barnaby that, hey, an Olympics, maybe this is what going, or did this sort of only come when sort of the rowing started to take off? No, no, honestly, I, well, I've always watched the Olympics because I've uh, always liked sports, but I uh, never really thought about competing in them at least until I was, I'd say, 17 or even 18. Uh, even when I started uh, rowing, I was just, you just started sports, you have a, a few friends um, and you do it be- because of your, of your friends mainly. Uh, <laughs> you're not thinking about going to Olympics at, at 13 or 14, or at least I, I wasn't. And uh, also when I started rowing i'd say the swiss team was also a lot there was so the swiss team was really good uh, in the late 90s up to 2000 uh, we had a few a few olympic medals with uh, uh xeno muller in the single who won in 96 and we had a lightweight bubble who also won in 96 and then in 2000 xeno came second so it still was pretty good but then then we had a big, big period with like no results um, between 2000 and 2012, 16. Um, and so that's where 2012 is, I was last, my, my last year as a junior. And um, that's when I really started to, to do that as a, as a profession or as a main occupation, I'd say. Um, but yeah, so it was, it, there wasn't a lot of, um, you couldn't really, refer to any any good rower and you didn't have really a, a vision of how it would evolve so um that's why I, I didn't think about the olympics back then but then uh starting getting better i i, I won a, a junior medal um in 2012 at the world championships and that's the first time i realized ah as a swiss you actually can win medals on the on the big stage even though it, it wasn't really done before not in my lifetime um so yeah, I realized I could be good. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I really invested everything into it. Uh, and I, I went, I went to the, to the, to the pro team or elite team and, and, um, and yeah, we qualified for, for Rio and, um, we were really young there, but, um, another, another boat, the lightweight four, they, they won in Rio. So, um, it took off really, and and then since then, between Rio and Tokyo, we had a, a lot of medals um, for for small nation, as you said, world champs, world cups, uh, Europeans. Uh, so now it's 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 way bigger than when I started. Which that was actually one of the questions I wanted to find out about, sort of how rowing is in in Switzerland, and just in the preparation for this interview, I actually looked up the the Swiss medal tally at the Olympics when it comes to summer sports, and that. Rowing actually is is Switzerland's second most successful sport, only behind gymnastics when it comes to overall mm-hmm. medal tally. So there's obviously a bit of history when it comes to to Swiss rowers. I mean, is is obviously Switzerland? We know it is a land of beautiful, you know, scenery and kind of mountains and everything. But I I can imagine then that that lakes must be abundant there in, in Switzerland. Then if kind of you've got sort of a history there and kind of, I mean, it, it must be a beautiful place to row. Then if all of a sudden you're just kind of surrounded by this epic vistas and scenery, you know, better no better place in the world to row maybe than Switzerland. Yeah, definitely. Like um, I've learned recently that we have over fifteen hundred lakes in Switzerland. Wow. Uh, for, for a really small country. 
uh, and a lot of them are small lakes. Uh, we've got Lake Geneva, which is huge, and uh, uh, Lake of Zurich and uh, Lake of Lucerne. They are the three biggest lakes, I think, um, which aren't great for rowing because it's quite wavy. Um, but other than that, we have so many like mountain or, or valley lakes um, all around. And it's true that if you ask internationally, um, other rowers, where there's um, what's their favorite place to row or compete? Like three quarters of them, or ninety percent of them, they're gonna say uh, it's um, the Rotsi uh, in Lucerne, and uh, because it's the it's a natural lake, just over two kilometers, which is the racing distance, um, and it's like in Lucerne, central, uh, surrounded by trees. Uh, you've you got the scenery, views on the mountains, and um, so yeah, it's, we're, we're really lucky. Uh, we don't always realize it because we just happen to live here and, and we, we're used to it, but it's true. And, and so where we train, in, it's in Zarnen, it's called. It's, it's uh, 20 minutes away from Lucerne um, and it's a 5K lake and it's always really flat. There's hardly any motorboats on it. Um, it's uh, surrounded by mountains and, and quite protected from the wind. So yeah, pretty much a perfect place to row. And uh, as you said, the... the the history of rowing, as I said, there is quite a big history, and it was especially in the, yeah, in the last century, or even at the beginning of the the Olympic, uh, the modern modern Olympics, where we had a lot of medals there. And but again, from 2000 to 2016, we had a big gap without any medals, and and now uh, hopefully we're gonna uh, keep going and and uh, yeah, continue the the tradition. When you made that switch and, and be- began the sport, I mean, what was it about it that you kind of felt like, okay, well, this is this is something more, this is something interesting, I'd like to kind of pursue this a little bit? Was it just down to a talent? You felt you were suited to it? Was it just being out in the, the lakes? You loved it? Kind of what was it particularly about rowing that made you, I guess, really take to it? Um, I guess at first it was mainly to get shredded. <laughs> 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 no, but I, um, I don't know. I just... I live by the lake. There was a, a pretty good club there. I just showed up. I say, hey, can I start? Can I try? Um, and then at first I just liked, I don't know, just the team, uh, the spirits. Um, and and then, as I said, my first three years, I was really, really bad. Uh, so I didn't see any big potential in me. Uh, but that really quickly changed when I started training quite seriously. So when I was... 15 or 16, I started training uh, every day, once a day, um, which is quite a lot for, for 15 years old. And uh, and then the results came really quickly and the progress as well. And I think that's what kept me going to see the that it's a sport when you put in the work and you get the re- results quite, not fast, but you get, you get them. Um, and so you don't have necessarily to have a lot of talent or, or skills because, um, yeah, it's just the more time you spend in the boat, the most time you, you spend uh, on an ergo, so the, the rowing machine, uh, the more time you spend in the gym, uh, the, the better you're going to be. And uh, it's not a matter of, let's say, uh, football, where you have to have the talent, you have to have uh, something else. Um, yeah, so I think that's the, the, the main reason why I stuck to it, uh, because I really like putting in the hard work and then seeing the results. And when you're getting those results and obviously that kind of, that helps along the way and, and, you know, sort of 
mentioning some of those those medals at World Junior Champs, European Championships, all that kind of thing. I mean, does that all of a sudden you're going, okay, well, the gym's working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So then you just take those medals at extra motivation. So maybe you're training once a day, but then you yamp that up to twice a day or kind of, you know, you you increase the, the time on a certain machine or add a couple of weights there to, to the machines. I mean, that kind of, it's that extra motivation. Well, clearly this is working and I can just take this from here. Yeah, exactly. We have a lot of um, thing we can measure in rowing. So especially on the rowing machine, you have your score and uh, it's really easy to see your progress even on the, on a weekly basis uh, in training. You don't even have to compete to see the, the, the progress, especially when you're younger. Obviously now uh, <laughs> the results come much slower and, and sometimes you have two or three years where you don't, don't make any step and then suddenly you make a, a big step. Um, but especially when you're young, it's really really cool to see every week you're beating your scores um, and then obviously you, you start training more and that's the whole thing about any sport, but especially about rowing, you you can add volume and, and, and time and intensity uh, over the years and I started training three times a week and then every day and then twice a day and now in the senior team uh, we train between two and three times a day so wow that's uh that's insane and i tell you now whenever i go to a gym and i go on the rowing machine it's kind of one of my least favorite uh machines it's whenever there's a circuit yeah, I'm like oh it's you know. it's boring <laughs> it's boring yeah. <laughs> that's, it's, even for us it's boring but uh yeah we put some good music on and we're good to go <laughs> which, which i i actually discovered in kind of researching a bit about you there's such thing as an indoor rowing champion now i i was like how how is this possible? Are you what are you putting a large body of water in front of a thing? But then I realized it's just you're on a rowing machine and you're basically like, how does that work? How like what do you how do you win the indoor rowing championships? When you do the fastest time uh, over Simple. two thousand meters. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a quite a big part of rowing actually, especially in the winter season. Um, uh, and so the rowing machine is a a really big tool that we use almost every day or at least every week for sure. And um, on underwater, there's a lot of factor who can um, influence the time. So if there's a headwind or tailwind, time as times are going to change massively. So if you take the same crew, um, it's always over, over 2K, uh, 2,000 meters. Uh, but if you take the same crew top level, um, they can race. The race is about six minutes long, um, depending on the boats, but it's around that time. And uh, the same crew with the same shape can do 30 seconds slower from one day to another, depending on the condition over wow. six minutes. So it's not really um, accurate. And so that's why we do a lot of testing on the, on the rowing machine because there's no wind. Uh, it's always the same machine everywhere. It's really standardized. Um, and that's how you, that's basically how we test our fitness. Um, so obviously underwater, there's a lot of more of a technique component, but on the rowing machine, there's a little bit of technique, obviously, but the main part is uh, is fitness, uh, physiology, and that's why every rower worldwide they're all going to test on the on the rowing machine. And then we have a few, like two or three of those tests every year. And in Switzerland, we have one of them is the Swiss Championships. So basically, it's the same, but you just with uh, a lot of other people in the same in the same room, and uh, you link you link the rowing machine uh, through a software. And then you have a, like a, a little uh, graphic with, with little virtual boats and you can see the progress. And uh, the first, it's the same principle as in the water. The first who crosses the line 
uh, wins. And then uh, now it's evolving a bit, especially as, as well with uh, with CrossFit because they love the rowing machine. And um, yeah, we even have uh, now uh, world championships as well uh, for wow. the, the indoor rowing, which I did uh, in 2019 and came second. So wow. Jeez. Um, okay. Obviously, it's not it's not it's not the same as underwater, but it's uh, it's pretty cool and uh, it's really useful. Definitely, even if it's no proper competition, every row is going to do testing on those on those machines. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at one of those differently next time I'm at the gym. Then I'm like, okay, well, there's a world championship <laughs> for this. Like, maybe yeah, I should yeah. try harder this. <laughs> and this is pretty cool as well because um, you you get people non rowers who can also compete because, as I said, uh, it's easier to. Well, you can find that one in any gym. Um, the technique is not that complicated. And uh, so you, you see more and more like CrossFitters or uh, just like big guys uh, who just want to, to see how fast they go and, and they can, yeah, they can take part in the world champs or the Swiss champs or every, any championship they want. And uh, it's, a, it's a good way to mix non-rowers and to introduce them to, to rowing in a way. Yeah, get them out in the boat. Like you're pretty good at this. Like, have you ever thought about getting out on? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Getting off the machine and into the water, kind of uh, going going in that way. Yeah, I, and I it's believe... also a sport you can you can learn pretty late. So yeah, uh, there's hope for me then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but interesting. We don't get that that often. Often, but uh, for example, in the UK, they have a um, it's called World Class Starts, and they do like they have dates where anyone can show up and they get tests um on a few different factors it's i don't think it's uh, on 2k but it's uh, it's shorter distance and it's they, they look at specific thing and they look at, look at your um uh your size uh, your your span etc and then if if you're good enough they they take you in for um uh four years i think or three years and they say okay we're going to develop you into a rower over the next three four years and uh we're going to fund fund you pay you something uh, if, if they see potential in, in you and and you see people coming from other sports or just just because they're big and and they have a, a, a big cardio already and uh, they start quite late they can they can start at 20 or 22 24 even so you wow. see it's something you don't see really in other sports uh, people starting really late and uh, getting really good as well so yeah i like hearing that because again you know i'm getting on a bit Barnaby and I'm just trying to work out, you know, that that ambition of making an Olympics, you know. So I'm just okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll research it, find out, get some help from our guests, and kind of, you know, eventually, like I've got a home Olympics to look forward to in 2032. So I'm just okay. Well, you know, I've got 11 years to work on this. So who knows where I could get? <laughs> who knows? I'll keep training on that. You, you mentioned the the UK. Uh, you you took a trip to the UK and spent a couple of months there, sort of uh, throughout your career and uh, turned out to be a bit of a, a turning point for you. Sort of what, what was the idea behind this trip and sort of what was it about that trip that really kind of helped you towards uh, what would lead you to, to Olympic Games? Yeah, definitely. So um, as you can maybe tell, I've got a um, pretty big influence from the UK because growing up, my family had a, a lot of uh, British friends. Um, we used to see, go and see them in the UK, in London uh, every year and, and, uh, skiing as well uh, in Verbiage, that's pretty famous uh, ski resorts uh, in the Alps, and uh, there's a lot of British people coming there. So I was a, always been surrounded by by uh, English people, and um, that's also why I started rugby in the first place um, because we had all these those English friends who said it was such a great sport, and and my mom said I should try, and 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 I tried and and I liked it. Um, and with the rowing, it's kind of the same because it's the 
it's the um, the home soil of rowing. It's the uh, it's the UK. And um, so after I finished high school, it was in 2012. I just uh, won a medal at World Championship Junior World Junior World Championships. And uh, in Switzerland, we we have this um, we have to do the army. Every guy has to do the army, uh, the military service. It's uh, four months, about four months long. And then you have over the years, you have every year you have to do two or three uh, weeks of uh, courses until you have your you have a certain amount of days, uh, compulsory days, which you have to complete. And for uh, since 2007, we have this in the in the army for um, athletes, um, elite athletes, which can you can do your basically you can do your your military as an athlete. So you have a very basic military f- formation for the first uh, few weeks, and then you basically train full time, um, but you paid by the army. Um, Sounds pretty and, sweet to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's still quite small as well. Like you you see. Maybe in Italy or in Germany or in France, even they have a, a huge uh, army and police-based um, system where most of the the athletes, um, or at least the rowers, they all employed by the army or the police uh, for their sports. Um, and in Switzerland, it's it's way smaller than that, but we have uh, it's growing as well, and we have a few opportunities uh, for athletes to do that. And so as yeah, as the, the military is a compulsory anyways, I, I thought I might as well do it or try to do it uh, that way. And um, it was starting in October. So I had uh, between the end of high school and the beginning of the army, I had a, a few months to kill. And I said, uh, why not go to the UK, to London and and uh, yeah, improve my English, take some, uh, some English courses. And uh, at the same time, I was rowing um, with um, the Imperial College uh, Rowing Club. Uh, which is one of the the biggest um, university team uh, in the country. And so, yeah, um, going there, seeing how it was, uh, how the system was there. And and, uh, it was a much bigger team than in Switzerland. Everyone knows about rowing. Um, Everyone is pushing each other every session. And there's there's a a lot of, uh, yeah, of um, excitement about it. So that really, as you said, was a turning point because I, I really, discovered another face of rowing and and a more fun face maybe even though the training is just as hard and and just as tough but uh, everything around it the partying as well not gonna Mm -hmm. lie um it's just a a wall for itself so it's it's in putney in uh, in london it's uh, a neighborhood and there's like 10 rowing clubs next to each other and everyone in this neighborhood knows about rowing everything is about rowing the curry place is uh, is called uh, Raja Rowing Curry Place. The the, the cafes around there, the the breakfast place, they're all rowing related. So it's really a small world in itself, and that's yeah. I, I saw how fun it was, and and um, and that's yeah. That was a turning point, and then I, I joined the the army thing, and and I turned pro <laughs> as much pro as you can get with rowing uh, since then. Uh, even though uh, I'm I'm still uh, studying on the side, but uh, yeah. I've got. To, I've got to not let a question go here. Who who parties better, the Brits or the Swiss? <laughs> I must. I must go with the Brits. <laughs> you you <laughs> do you, Swiss reputation. We didn't know about. <laughs> you do have a few exceptions in Switzerland, and and there's a, a few good party places, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a different spirit for sure. And the Brits, they they're more uh, laid back, and and yeah, they just grab a 
a six pack of beers and <laughs> and party party in the club uh, in the in the rowing club. I mean, um, which you got to come to Australia then? You think the Brits are good? Like, come yeah, on, yeah, man. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we party we party every year after the World Champs or the World Cups. There's a usually a big party. Obviously, with COVID, the last two years it's it wasn't that big, but um, usually there's a big party and everyone comes together. So you get to see. Uh, all the different nations and who's uh, who's the best at partying, and most most of the time the the good roars are also the the best at partying. So, <laughs> all right, is, is there a secret to that? Is there a reason behind it? Is because you're training so hard, you got to let your hair down harder? I mean, kind of why why is that? Why yeah. are the roars the best parties? Yeah, I think I think that's that's it because when I say we like the parties are, are really cool and and pretty big, um, but they're not off, that often. So. Uh, in the winter season, everyone, everybody back home has a few nights out, but still the training is really tough. Uh, you train every day, uh, four to six hours a day. So you can't get, um, smashed on a night out and train the next day, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, after the big competition, you have a, you have some time off and that's where everybody comes together and, and let's go of, um, of, yeah, as you said, the, the whole year being serious and then all hells break, break loose on the, on the party. And, and then you, you can afford to have a hangover for a, few, a couple of days afterwards. So exactly. <laughs> you've, you've been hard at work. I think you deserve that basically at that point. Exactly. So work hard, party hard, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The thing that I, I love about rowing is, is there's so many disciplines, but at the same time, I can imagine the choices to kind of choose for them is, is an interesting one. I mean, how, when you are, out there and you're competing, can you choose, say, between single skulls or going to a double skulls or a, or a Coxus four or the eight to kind of like, is it, does it come down to ability? Your coaches are going, okay, you're going to be more suited to a quad than you are for, for a single. You might be better at the eight than you would the quad. I mean, kind of how does that work? And, and what were you finding you preferred the best when you were kind of making your way up the ranks? Uh, so it depends a bit on the nations, but most of the time you're not, the one deciding is the coaching team and the staff who decides because um, you have over the winter you have a lot of testing, individual testing. So you you know exactly where your level at, and the coaches know where your level 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 is at. Um, and then you have in most of the countries you have in in yeah like in March April you have final trials as uh, we call them, and uh, the whole team. Uh, who's been training together all the whole winter? They we just race against each other. Uh, we start most like usually we start on the on the rowing machine to have a, a, um, a physical baseline, and then we test on the water and we test in singles. Then we have a ranking of the single, and then we start testing combinations in crew boats. And then so we do a lot of racing and we swap seats, and then you can see which combination works best um, and which doesn't, and you go from there. Um, in the big nations, where they have a really big pool of athletes like the UK, Australia, uh, New Zealand. Um, they, they can choose from everything, basically, and it's not always the top two people individually who end up together in the double, for example. It's more like, yeah, how they fit together. Um, and then so the coaches can decide from there. And in Switzerland, it's or the smaller nations, it's a bit different because you won't be able to do every boat. There's um, so there's 14 uh, Olympic boat classes, um, seven for the women, seven for the men. Uh, and obviously, small countries, we then we don't have any, enough people to fill fill all the boats. So 
we have to choose. And most of the time, it's pretty uh, straightforward because you have like two guys. Let's say for in my case, for example, we have we had two guys over the five five past years who who are really close to each other. So that's me and my my teammate from the double. And it was a um, straightforward fit, I'd say, because we were a lot ahead of the other guys and no one was ahead of us. And But also neither of us were a lot ahead of the other one. So we're close together and it was logical to put us in a double. And for Rio, uh, so the last cycle, it was the same, but we were four of us who were really close to each other. So we ended up in the in a quad. So, And that's the also the difference in rowing. There's a with one oar or with two oars and that's um, it's still the same sport you can say switch but it takes a few months to make the switch um, and usually when you start rowing um, it's really depending on on your club and on the policy uh, but some clubs do a lot more sweeping so sweeping is with one oar and some of the clubs do a lot of a lot more sculling so that's with two oars and then you learn that and usually you stay with that for the most of your career, even though you see every now and then some switches back and forth. Um, but usually we don't test the sweepers against the scholars. We, we It's like two separate classes and they tested um, in those separate classes. And then to make it even more complicated, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> no, I'm liking uh, this. A, You're answering questions I had already, so keep going. I like this. <laughs> yeah, we have the lightweights. Um, so until Rio, it uh, used to be a lightweight four and a lightweight double. So double with two oars each and the four with one oar each. So there was six places for lightweights um, available. And then Rio, after Rio, they canceled the four. So that, now there's only the double left. Um, so if you're lightweight, that's for the men, it's under 70 kilograms. And for the woman, it's under 57. Wow. Um, that's very light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially most of the rowers are pretty tall. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the only two boat classes for for the lightweights, and uh, so the twelve other boat classes, which are single, double, pair. That's two. So two with one or two with two oars, four and quad. That's also one or two oars, and the eight, which is only one oar, uh, plus the cox. Uh, that's all for open weight, and uh, most of the guys they're gonna be. Uh, over 90 kilos up to 105 or so so um that's the 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 typical weights and for the lightweights obviously uh under 70 kilos so in my case it wasn't a (laughs) it wasn't a choice because uh already as a junior i was 90 kilos so definitely couldn't lose 20 kilos um (laughs) and uh yeah then you you go from there and you get all the testing done and you end up in a boat class so you you don't yeah I was going to say, I can imagine when it comes to then the, the management, like weight management, that comes down to a good diet, a good sort of weight training regime. Because I mean, I, I can imagine you kind of got to you got to keep that target weight. Does that sort of add the difficulty to sort of the training aspect? Uh, well, I, I'd say for the lightweights, it's definitely really hard to to keep the weight. And in the winter, they're going to walk around at anything from seventy five to eighty kilos uh, for the guys. Um, and then they're going to go down to weight uh, when the summer approaches and the racing approaches. And they have to weigh in two hours before the race. So it's not like in uh, combat sports where, it, where they have a full 24 hours and they can lose all their water and then gain it back uh, until the, 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 the fight. Uh, in rowing, it's really they introduced that to, uh, to protect 
the athlete's health in a way because like that they have to go down to like um, stable weight i'd say even though most of them they sweat they would sweat like one or two liters before the race just to get those last uh, kilos down but um yeah they have to go down progressively and it's a bit more healthy uh for most of them some of them struggle obviously but um again if you if your normal weight is like say 78 kilos uh you don't have a lot of chances again people which are 95 100 kilos so and also taller than you so they go for that and then uh for the the heavy weights or the open weights it's um mostly the other way around we have to uh make sure we don't lose weight because rowing is a endurance sports for sure but it's also a um, strength endurance sports so there's a lot of uh, strength factor in it um and leverage as well so if you're taller you've got big levers that's an advantage for sure and uh if you're a bit heavier you're going to have more power uh, obviously you don't want to be 120 kilos or 150 kilos because you're going to sink the boat but um <laughs> yeah you want to be in that 90 to 100 kilos range and um with the amount of training we do it's mostly a struggle to keep the weight rather than than go down to weight so for me, for example, in, in the winter, uh, when it's colder and, and uh, so it's hard on the system, I really have to, every meal I overeat, basically when I, uh, yeah, when I'm um, not hungry anymore, I, I take another plate or two. So just to make sure I keep the weights. And then in the summer, I just eat normally until I'm, I'm not hungry anymore. And, um, and I go down a, a couple of kilos naturally, but it's not a, it's not an effort. It just uh, goes down by itself. So yeah, it's, it's also a struggle to keep the weight almost as much as to lose the weight. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll explain to you. mentioning to me off air about the whole second breakfast and the second dinner. Now it makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We eat we eat just like four to five meals, proper meals a day. Um, anything from yeah, around five to six or even more, a uh, thousand calories a day. Wow. Um, so, and... As well, it's harder when you try to eat healthy because it's easy to get 6,000 6, calories of uh, McDonald's in. But if you try to eat uh, pretty clean and uh, you have to, because uh, especially when you get older, uh, um, obviously when I was 20 or 18, I could eat uh, lasagna, pizza, whatever, and it, it was fine. But now I, I notice if I if I eat uh, too much junk food, uh, I'm going to feel it the next day. So I try to eat kind of clean, uh, but to keep the calories up you you have to eat some uh, some biscuits or some chocolate or whatever in, in the evening and and uh, it, it, it's good but sometimes you would rather not do it <laughs> yeah, i can imagine so there's no stacking up the trays in the olympic village of the mcdonald's basically in between events uh. <laughs> uh, no no but after the event for sure but they, uh, yeah. now it's it's gone i think this year yeah i learned that tokyo yeah, they yeah. didn't know was the first i don't know if the probably not the first olympics ever i'm sure they didn't probably have mcdonald's back in antwerp in, in yeah 20 but i mean it's for the first in a while that it seems mcdonald's yeah, wasn't think in the olympic they're village. not a, they're, they're not the sponsor anymore uh, right that's why yeah wow geez that that's a that's a partnership that you think would live forever the mcdonald's and the Olympics. like i i used to remember when every olympics is on you could go to mcdonald's and for like an extra dollar you got like a glass with a different sport on it and kind true, of like true. Yeah, yeah, big yeah. tie that was they were great those glasses lasted for years you got one in the cupboard you know they were they yeah were great no, that's gone now that's gone Oh, geez, that that's sad to learn. When you're talking about sort of the coaches deciding everything along those lines, selection is it, does that also work the same for the position in the boat? So, for example, in in Rio, when you're in the quad skulls, are you positioned 
third, second, third, like based on how that will help the team and how is that decided? Well, uh, depending on the boats, but um, it's, again, it's the coaches who decide uh, or they have a, an idea of what they want and then we try it out. And if it works, we keep that way. And if it doesn't, we can always discuss. And obviously the team always has a word to say if they feel from the inside, they, they would go better in, in other, uh, with uh, other positions. But um, basically, in the end, it comes down to um, technical ability, power, and, and um, character as well. Because in a double, it's a bit more, um, you can switch around a bit easier, I, I'd say. But for example, in the quad, uh, usually you would put the, um, the more technical and the lighter guy at the bow, so at the back of the boat, or <laughs> at the front of the boat in the traveling direction, but at the back because we don't see him like he's at the back of the boat. Um, and then you would put most of the time the, the, the two uh, most powerful in the middle um, because it, we say it's like the engine room. And then at the stroke seat, so the one who's giving the rhythm, it's either he's re either really technical or he's a bit more crazy than the other guys because he has to lead the boat and it's up to him to raise the stroke rate when it matters or um yeah so i was for example back in rio i was put a stroke even though i was one of the most powerful guys and i wasn't that technical but uh, i was the youngest one and i was a bit um yeah i wasn't uh scared to go out hard and uh be a bit arrogant in a way that uh, I didn't care who I was racing, even though they were um, much more experienced and, and much older than us. Uh, I would just go out and, and do my thing. And that's probably why I was put at stroke. And now in the double, I wasn't at stroke. I was in the bow seat. And uh, so Roman was at stroke. And that's because it just worked better that way. And, and in the double, it's more, um, you, you can switch. Like it doesn't matter that much i'd say it's just matter how, how you're most comfortable and, and roman was a uh, so my teammate was um or he is uh, more technical than me he's got a, a little bit more feel and i have a lot of more a lot more power than him uh, so i could learn from him by following him i could learn the technique a bit and at the same time i could really um power the boat along and, and he could feel my power and that was a good combination so um, but that's that's like fine fine tuning details, and it, it, sometimes it just clicks in a way, and it doesn't click in another way, and you have to try out a bit sometimes, and, and sometimes you just sit in the boat and it goes, and you don't change it anyway anymore. So it's not that specific, but there's a few factors who can influence. How important is strategy when it comes to rowing? You, you know, you're talking about sort of all those influences there, technique, power, and everything. But do, do you go into every single race with a, a certain mindset, particularly maybe in, in the quad that sort of, you know, there's four of you there. So the strategy is let's, let's lead from the front. Let's kind of go all out and then kind of bring it back. Or is it kind of let's, let's maintain that energy and go there? Or does it, again, depend on the regatta, depend on how you're performing? Sort of how does all that work? Rowing is kind of a stupid sport because it's six minutes and uh, you just go all out, all out start, hang on to it and uh, see if there's anything left in the end, basically. But obviously every boat has a, a race plan um, going, going to the race. And I'd say the bigger the boat, the more important that is, because as you said, uh, you have to coordinate four guys or even eight guys, uh, as opposed to when you're alone in a boat or just two of you. Um, 
So if you if if you're alone, obviously just you, so you can do whatever you want. Um, if you're in a double, you can feel the other guy really easily. So it's easy to to like adapt when there's a change. But in a quad or in an eight, um, you've got a lot less feedback uh, from what the others are doing. So it's important that everyone is on the same page. And you got um, yeah, basically to start, everyone's gonna go gonna try to start as hard as they can, and then it's a matter of how you settle in the rhythm um kind of rhythm it's not really sustainable but as much as we can for that amount of time and then if you decide to have a, a big push at the halfway mark you've got to make sure uh, all the guys in the boats are gonna go on the same stroke because um yeah if you don't go on the same stroke it's gonna be a lot of wasted energy and the boat's gonna respond uh, a lot less um so yeah you you got um you do a, a race race strategy, a race plan, as you say, and then someone in the boat is uh, responsible for making the calls. And that's going to be just like one single word. Uh, and it's going to be maybe four to eight of them in a race, not more than that, because you're too much, uh, <laughs> you're worried about breathing more than uh, talking. So, um, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a little strategy, but in the end, you can't um, influence the other boats. You have to race your race and, and go as fast as you, as you can uh, from point A to point B, and uh, yeah, it doesn't matter what. Oh well, theoretically, it shouldn't matter what the other boats are doing. But then, when you're in a race, obviously, you're going to look around, and uh, you're going to uh, sometimes be. You have to adapt your plans. <laughs> we we in Australia, obviously, a big friendly rivals with the Kiwis, probably the Brits as well. Uh, who who's Switzerland's rival? When you're out there in an international regatta, is there is there one country that you just like? Screw France. We're going to beat France today. We're going to beat Germany today. Like, like, who is it that Switzerland always no, want man, to beat? We, we're neutral. We don't want to beat anybody. Oh, come on. There's someone. There's someone, Marnie. We, <laughs> we, need, we need the money. We, we can't upset them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Such no, a Swiss um, answer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. There's like, it depends as well because Switzerland, as you might know, um, there's um, four different languages. Um, there's one really tiny one which no one speaks. So I was gonna say, really do you speak out. all four? Or <laughs> uh, no, I speak two of them. But um, so there's one is like it's called Reto Romanche. It's like a mix of Italian, German, and French or whatever. But no one speaks that. It's like a little little place. Um, and then there's uh, Italian, which is the second smallest one uh, in the south. And then there's uh, French, which is my side of the country, um, and it's like. 20 to 30 percent of the country and the biggest part is, is uh, german speaking and uh so that that's a challenge first of all for us to 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 understand each other but the training center is uh in the german part so i had to learn german well i it's a good thing now i can speak german and swiss german which is different than german um <laughs> a lot different actually uh so thankfully i can i can speak that now and and so everything i do in the swiss team is in in german or most of it um but with that there's also a lot of um uh, cultural differences um so the the french speaking guys we we're more uh chilled i'd say we're more like latin or we're more like france uh and the german speaking guys obviously they're a bit more like germans uh swiss germans so it's a bit more straight and and uh, uh strict um i would say and so Depending on where you come in the country, you've got maybe more rivalry with the country. So, for example, this, the French-speaking part, we 
we kind of have a big rivalry with uh, with France. Um, but it's like love hate relationship because we speak the same language, we understand each other, we've got this more or less the same culture. And we, for example, um, the double who won in Rio in Tokyo, they're, they're French and uh, uh, we really like uh, they're good friends, I'd say. Um, and then if you come from the German part, maybe you're gonna want to be the German a bit more. So it depends wow. a bit. Um, but for example, I don't know if you followed the, the Euro in football. Yes, yes. This summer. Exactly. Yep. So when, when Switzerland beat France uh, in, in, the, um, in the eighth, eighth of final, it was a big, big thing in the French part of Switzerland because we're like the small brother, you know, the, or France is like the big brother and, and they always say, oh, the, the small Swiss or whatever. And uh, especially in football, obviously, because they, they, there's a big uh, football nation and we're not that much. And so when we beat them, it was, uh, even though I don't like football really that much, uh, <laughs> we, we all celebrated and it was a, a big party, especially in the in the French part. So, Which yeah, that's- Switzerland always do well. I swear, every World Cup and everything, Switzerland are doing, doing quite well. So for a, for a small nation, kind of, you're always punching above your weight when it comes to these tournaments. Yeah, in football they there's all right. They're all right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'd say it's the most popular sport here, and along with uh, with the uh, with the um, maybe the skiing and ice hockey because has obviously tennis it's, uh, taken off because of Roger? I mean, is tennis now like the nearly a national sport based on how successful? Yeah, well, been? that's just because of Roger. Yeah, and <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And Belinda, we should mention Belinda, gold medalist in in Tokyo. We shouldn't take away from her. Sure, I will, sure, the, the one thing that we always laugh about here on the show is um, opening ceremony. You know, you've got you got your commentators. You know, the country's coming out. Like, let's give some stats. Let's talk up their athletes. the The network here in Australia that airs the Olympics is a is kind of our main tennis broadcaster. So every single time there's anything Switzerland related to do with anything at the Olympics, some commentator, you just, you count the seconds. Okay. Where's the Roger Federer mention coming in three, two, one. Oh, and Roger Federer is from, oh, thank you. Channel seven. We know that. So I, I needed to fit in a Roger Federer reference purely on the fact that it's an Australian tradition that anything Swiss, we have to bring up Roger Federer. Yeah. That's, that's how it is all, all over the world already. Like he's such a global star. Um, and it's so funny, like even when he plays in Wimbledon, he would play against a, a British guy and the, the crowd would be cheering for him instead of a British guy. So that's he's like, he's something else for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember that moment, Barnaby, when you knew you were going to Rio, when you officially knew you were an Olympian and what was that moment like? Oh, that was one of the best moments of my, of my rowing career for sure. It was, uh, so in rowing, you have uh, to qualify the year previous at the world championships and you have to do a certain uh placement so in my case uh in our case in the quads we had to come top eight at the world championships um and so so then those eight boats those eight nations they get a spot at the olympics the next year and then you have also this uh, last chance uh, regatta which happened in in may just before the olympics but you don't want to count on that because there's only one or two spots for each category and that's that's really stressful and and uh, not really nice to race in hopefully i i haven't had to race in that um in my life and i i hope to <laughs> to continue like that but so basically you qualify world champs and um yeah i remember we we were the youngest by far in the field uh i think we were about 21 or no 22 years old on average uh, in our quads and rowing is 
as I said, an engine sport. So you get more like most of the guys or the girls are around late twenties to thirties when they're in their top shape. So we were really young. We still, we all were um, under 23s. Uh, we were, we had won the under 23s in 2014. So that was just a year before that, the, the world championships under 23s. And in rowing, there's a, a big gap between the under 23s and the, the senior team, the senior level. So um, it's not because you win the under 23s that you're going to win the seniors for sure. Uh, you're not even going to medal at seniors when you want win the under 23s, most of, most of the case. Um, and then, so we, we had these world champs and we had done all right, but especially the first two years, 2013, 14, we were even younger and we kind of surged into the scene. Um, we won under 23s both years and we did some, uh, we came into the final, senior final in 2013. So it was a, uh, yeah, we had a lot of potential and we're really excited because uh, we had a, yeah, a, a, a big, a big way to go. And then 2015 season, uh, we kind of, uh, we had a, yeah, it wasn't going well at all. Um, basically, uh, a Kiwi coach came to take over the head coach place in Switzerland. And um, we had a tough time going, <laughs> going um, or being coached by him. That's New Zealand uh, for you. That's standard. Come on. <laughs> well, he, he, he definitely is doing something right in some boats. Like his training plan was really good, uh, really tough. Uh, if you survived it, you would be so fit. Uh, but a lot of us got injured as well. Um, but if you survive the plan and you do what he does, uh, you do what he tells you to do, um, you're probably going to be quite good. Um, but the problem is that he was um, a sweeping specialist. So with, with one oar and we were sculling with two oars. And so he, that guy coached, he was head coach. So he was writing the plan, but he also was our coach and the lightweight force coach. And, Obviously, it worked wonderfully for the lightweight four because they won world champs in 15 and uh, the Olympic in 16. And then the same coach went to Australia and now he won the four with his guys uh, in Tokyo. So I'm not going to say it's shit, uh, but it just works for certain people and it doesn't work for other people. And with us, it didn't work. Uh, so the beginning of the season, we, we, we did really bad. Like we came uh seventh at europeans and when you know there's going to be the the australian the americans the chinese uh the kiwis all going to add up at world champs if you're only seventh at europeans and you have to do top eight at world champs with all those other boats uh you're not in a good place and then the last world cup of the season uh that was in lucerne it's like six weeks before the world champs we came i think eighth uh or ninth even so really didn't look that good. Um, and then hopefully uh, we got our another coach, our old coach back. He came back um, and he could, yeah, he, he could coach us the, the second half of the season. And we made some really good progress uh, in the lead up to the world champs. And then we arrived there and uh, we won our heat. Uh, and then when you win your, your heat, you direct, depends on it, depending on the boat class, you directly qualified for the semifinals. And so that's what, what that was our case. And the semifinals, it's six boats across. There's two of them. And the top three uh, come into the final. So when you know there's eight places to grab, um, if you're in the final, you're top six, so you're good. Um, and then in rowing, we also race the B finals, I would say, and the C finals, so all the small finals. And so the B final, you race for... Uh, rank 7 to 12 
um, etc. And so most of the time it's quite useless to race the B final, except for that uh, year before qualification the spots there, the first two exactly. places. Exactly. So you're, you're through. and you know, you know, if you end up in a deep B final and there's only the top two place who qualify for the games. You don't want to be in there either because it's going to be a dogfight, um, even more than usual. And so the semi-final was more or less our final because we knew, okay, if you make top three, we're going to be qualified at the games for, for the first time in our lives. So, yeah, it was a, a really good race. We were leading for the most part. And then the Australian came through, uh, but still it was neck and neck the whole way. And then um, we had the Ukrainians who were... Um, world record holder and world champs from 2014 side by side with us. And then the Lithuanians came like surged like crazy in the, in the final sprint. And we ended up four boats on the line for three places in the final. And uh, the, the, the Ukrainians got peeped out. So uh, the defending wow. world champion didn't make the final and uh, Australia, the Lithuanians and us made the final within that much. And then we just- Incredible. And then, so that was such a, a tense moment. And also, usually, I'm quite nervous before the race. But when the starts, uh, when the race starts, I just forget about nerves, and I'm just full focus on racing. And that's the only race in my life I can remember when I was stressed during the race, <laughs> because I knew every boat had a chance, and I knew the 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 Eastern block had a really big sprint, and I was really scared of them coming back at us. And I knew the Australian was really strong. So it was uh, like so stressful. And then we crossed the line in third, uh, but just uh, we were so relieved and so happy because we made it. And then we had the final race. So that's all uh, bonus from there. And also had a decent race in the final, but came sixth, just missed the medals. I uh, came fifth, sorry, just missed the medals. Uh, but yeah, the one that stuck was the, was the, the semifinal for sure. And that was, uh, yeah, amazing. Best third place ever basically from that point on because you, you're yeah, an yeah. Olympian. The they can't take that away from you <laughs> exactly in the semi-final most of the time it's just about not fucking up don't just don't fuck it up and uh, go through and then in the final anything can happen so it doesn't really matter if you if you come first or third do you do you then soak up i love i love hearing stories from from our guests who sort of particularly at their first olympics kind of soaking up that that atmosphere i mean kind of do you remember just the village i mean i don't know if you did the ceremony or not if you were able to kind of everything along those lines just outside of the competing aspect just in in rio what was that like yeah it was a bit mixed feelings because um in the lead up i got injured and i was out of the boat for four months from christmas to april um and then yeah at the games we didn't really perform yeah we just weren't consistent enough uh so we had some really good rows and then some bad rows and if you do that at the olympics you're gonna you're gonna miss out and we we missed out again in the heat uh we missed out on a on a direct place in the final and we lost by 0.5 of a second to the australians who then uh won the silver medal uh in the final so we were that far but just just wasn't enough and so i was really disappointed uh, so it's kind of a bitter um, uh, memory. But then again, I remember before that in the village, uh, yeah, I was like a child uh, at, the, at Disney World, basically, because you see all the, all the athletes, um, you see some stars, you see Usain Bolt, Serena Williams, uh, uh, Chris Froome, uh, Rafael Nadal. So all the big names, um, 
apart from the <laughs> from the the American basketball team who were staying in a yacht. Um, <laughs> As you do, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but other than that, most of the even the really the really well known athletes they they're also staying in the village, and every everyone eats together in this this huge dining hall with um, food twenty four seven of any choice you can think of. Really, you, you, there's something for everyone, um, and you all mixed up together. And then you go into the gym. There's also a big gym in the village, and you see people training and. It's amazing to see like the weightlifters doing their thing, and then uh, the, the 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 combat sports guys like sweating out and and being really uh, explosive, and then the even the the track cycling guys with huge legs or the gymnasts so flexible and like you really it's like it's a freak show basically. Like you've got um, you can recognize most of the people just by looking at them and and and, and tell what sports they're doing. Um, apart from the, the rowers, they're like in between, all the, in the middle of everything. Um, but surely then, though, in the gym, like, because you're all Olympians, you're all competitive. Like, yeah, you've got the, the boxes on the boxing bag, you know, you've got the cyclists on there. But surely you can just kind of, again, they can't recognize you as a rower. So you can just kind of sit down, get on the rowing machine. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, Michael Phelps pops in. Hey, g'day, Michael, how you doing? Oh, you want to go? Oh, let's have a race. What sport do you compete in? Oh, you'll find out. And then you just like, you go to town, start rowing and yeah, suck it, Michael Phelps. I can beat you in something. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about that. Maybe I do that at the next Olympics. But yeah. no, because when you're there, it's your racing week. You're like, it's the, the highlight of your career. So you're not really joking around too much. You you can chat with people and stuff, but you're not going <laughs> to race someone in the rowing machine. <laughs> Uh, actually in Tokyo we were thinking the same with uh, with our teammates and we were like oh there's like the biggest guy and there's like the tallest guys from the basketball and there's like the most flexible guy the, the smallest guy from the gymnast or whatever and then we looked at us like rowers like we're nothing special like we're just in the middle and then we were thinking oh yeah this guy he's the fastest guy and then his guy is the strongest guy and he's the yeah whatever and we're like oh well we can uh pull pretty hard but not too hard for pretty long but not too long uh that's that's our sports um and then i think the the um, if i had to point out uh one distinctive um feature of the rowers it would be um i'm i'm pretty sure we are the one who can injure the most pain out there uh, because yeah. it's really painful and um so you we're, we're some of the toughest for sure mentally i think uh, so that's a, a trait you're not going to recognize physically. <laughs> which, which <laughs> still, yeah, that's a good one to have, I think. Kind of, you but know, you if can you use it captured, in your life. Tortured, you know. Exactly, you, you know. can use it in your life afterwards. Rower, they don't really complain. Uh, well, they complain all the time of the training because we say it's <laughs> it's hard and and we don't get paid enough money and stuff. But I mean, in real life, uh, any time there's a tough situation, we 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 hardly complain. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool. Like we're pretty easygoing and and. Uh, yeah, we can adapt pretty easily. So that's, I think, um, <laughs> a feature of the world. But uh, yeah, as I say, in the village, you've got so much freaks and uh, it's, it's great to see that. And then also we were all excited because we were young and we we, we knew we are we going to get that uh, Samsung uh, Olympic edition phone and oh, where, where can we get that? So we run around the whole village trying to look for that. But actually, we learned later that we were going to get it in our rooms anyways. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's all sorts of, sorts of goodies you can, you can grab. And uh, there's the whole village, which is uh, kind of magical, uh, especially at night when you see all the lights and, and the buildings. Um, right. 
so yeah that was uh that was the 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 the, the, the nice part of it and then the racing wasn't that nice and then the after parties were, were pretty good as well <laughs> that swiss partying that we were talking about before well that was more know. brazilian partying which is quite nice as well, <laughs> well yes we were talking about partying nations let's not forget the brazilian. which i guess kind of are you glad that you sort of got to experience that aspect of an olympics when tokyo obviously was so different given that you know you you experienced it sort of without restrictions kind of you were so a, a lot more free whereas tokyo a lot more different kind of and restrictions mm-hmm. yeah that's for sure so in tokyo in the village i was uh, pleasantly surprised i expected much worse i thought we would we wouldn't be able to to leave our room and we would get our foods on trays in our rooms which wasn't the case like in the village we were free to to walk around freely and just with the mask but um that was fine even the dining hall was well there was those um plexiglass uh walls between us but other than that it was kind of the same as in as in rio um but yeah for sure the the rowers the rowing is on the first week of the olympics so uh it's pretty cool because you get all the racing done and then you can stay in the country or in the village even depending on your on your nation and the, the policy of the nation but um you can stay around for for the rest of the olympics and in rio even though i was disappointed with the result it took a it took a few a few hours or few days to yeah um to sink in and and to wash the disappointment away i'd say um, but then when when i was uh, ready to get into the mood of partying uh, it was great like you could uh, go partying at night uh, watch the other competition during the day uh, sneak in into the the athletic stadium uh, uh, a lot of things you can do and uh, enjoy the olympics from a, another point of view than than when you're racing yourself and that was um, that was great and obviously we didn't have in, that in tokyo unfortunately and we had to leave uh, 24 hours after our race. So um, all the, I'd say it was much more uh, as a world champs or, yeah, it was just, you come you come around, you race, and then you leave. Um, as in Rio was, you do that, but then afterwards you also have some holidays and you can enjoy the Olympics and the country. Which I can imagine then come Paris 2024 to put that, uh, you know, pressure on you now, Barnaby. I mean, it's it's close to home. It's sort of, uh, you know, the French. You've got the language down. I mean, I don't know how the French party, but, I mean, you know, hopefully hopefully in three years' time we'll be back to normal, right? Uh, hopefully, yeah. We'll see. Fingers crossed, yeah. We still don't um, know. It's kind of one of those things where we're, we're thinking we were a year ago we were back to normal, but, yeah. We're exactly, still- yeah. But I think Paris can do it uh, – pretty well as well so i think it's going to be good <laughs> now in that period between rio and and tokyo you, you go from being in the skulls to the the quad skulls to the double skulls you with roman world championship silver medal kind of lead up into the olympics they're delayed by a year everything that sort of happened but when you head to tokyo sort of talking about that disappointment from rio i mean kind of how did you go into tokyo how did your roman think like okay silver medal pretty good we're up there with the best in the world was it a case of we can medal at the olympics this is what we're going to go for we're going for that medal yeah 100 percent. so uh, after rio we had the four of us uh, had different plans um me and roman we just kept training basically we had a few months away at home but we still train at home um oh roman actually uh, went to australia for three months i think ah. and trained with the with the with the australian team 
because he also wanted to learn English, which which was a really weird choice to me to go and learn English in Australia, but whatever. Yeah, don't learn English in Australia. <laughs> we don't teach very good English here. Like, it's not the English you want to learn. <laughs> exactly. So, no, but uh, he, he did that. So, it was away from Switzerland, but he still trained. And I was, um, I just um, uh, made some steps in my studies, but I still trained as well decently. And then, uh, we had a new coach and uh, everything was looking pretty good and we both made some good progress. We we were fresh mentally to go to go again. And um, basically for me, as soon as I crossed the line in Rio and I didn't make the A final, I knew I, I would go for another four years because uh, I couldn't leave it there for sure. Um, the decision was made instantly. Um, and so I knew I, I even I even trained in Rio at the Olympic Village. Wow. <laughs> um, anyways, and then so so yeah, we trained, and then the two other guys from the quad they they took a bit of a break, and then when they came back, we just were uh, too much ahead of them to to go back into a quad. So it was just logical to to stay in a double, and then um, again it didn't really work out with our coach, and our old coach guy, our old coach came back. Uh, to coach us and from then it was uh, it was really good and um, um, 2018 we won a silver medal at world champs and then 2019 we silver at Europeans we won we won the world cups uh, ranking to we won two world cup so it was really yeah we were we were on our way to to yeah to be on the podium uh, all the time and then we kind of messed up the world champs in 2019. Um, we were favorite favorites um, going uh, going into them because, as I said, we 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 won the last two World Cup of the season and and we were second at world champs to the year previous. So we were, we were the favorites, and that was a, the first time it happened to us in our career going to an event uh, as favorite. So um, yeah, we didn't really manage that pressure very well, and also the lead up. Uh, the, the, the training plan wasn't wasn't great, uh, so we ended up ended up fifth, uh, still qualified. So uh, that was checked, but um, yeah, we were disappointed. But on the other side, we knew we knew where we fucked up, and so we were set to to correct that uh, in 2020. And then, uh, as everyone knows, uh, what happened happened in 2020, so it got delayed. Um, uh, thankfully, we still had uh, the Europeans to row in uh, in October, so that w- they were postponed. Um, but we still were able to race there, which was uh, which was really nice to do. And we came second again there, so we stayed. We, we were like, okay, well, we uh, we kind of got it back uh, from um, from that last uh, race in 2019, so it's going good. And then we had the whole 2021 again to train, and I must admit that it was a bit tough mentally, not. So much because of the training, because I like the training. Um, but it's just ten years I've been in the Swiss system, and it's really it's centralized. So you don't have a lot of freedom. Uh, you have a set training plan. You have a set schedule. Um, you're not um, yeah. The lake where we train is great. It's nice, but it's not. It's a shithole. Basically, you don't have any um, action. You can't go out and not party, but just have a grab a drink with a mate. Um, yeah, you will the same people all the time, same structure. So it was a bit heavy on the on the mind, and um, yeah, then I got COVID as well in December. Um, yeah, I took me off training for two months. Uh, came back decently, good shape. Did the Europeans, did all World Cups, and uh, we we won a few medals. Um, but we weren't up there, but we were confident that we could 
make a big step in the last lead up. And um, yeah, unfortunately, um, so we, yeah, definitely we were going for the medals in Tokyo. We're going for the win, especially that in this category, category over the last few years, it was so dense and so tight. So there's, um, it was every way someone else was, uh, was winning. So it was up for grabs and um, yeah, on the day, we just didn't have a good race and um, came fifth, unfortunately. So it's a common that was fifth. It. This seems to be your your place. Yeah. Well, you seem to always be getting fifth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't take just... the number five. <laughs> Actually, I kind of love it, like the number five, but um, not wow. not not in a race. Not um, in a race. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just tough because so this one was even tougher than Rio to process because. We knew in Rio, we knew we had an outside chance of maybe a medal, at least the final, but it wasn't like we had a lot of potential still and we were the youngest. And in Re- in Tokyo, it, was, it, w- it wasn't like that. Well, we knew we, we had beaten everyone in that field at some point. So we knew we could do it. Uh, we, we both um, improved so much from, from, uh, from Rio, like physically, I was um, the best in the, in the doubles field. Uh, for sure technically we were right up there um and yeah we just didn't have a good performance in the final and that was really gutted so uh yeah big disappointment but uh, that's that's how sport is and now we have to to reassess and and, and see what we can do differently if we if we want to go to paris and if we're going to stay together or or do different boats uh who knows and is it is that just really at that early stage now given that we're talking only a few weeks after it that it's too soon to even think what there. I mean, do you have sort of a thought process of how it might go ahead of Paris if you want to stay with Rowan or kind of? It's really tough to say now, but uh, what for sure is that um, I'm leaving in three weeks to Oxford, uh, to the UK to do a master, uh, an MBA. Um, and as you may know or may not know, but um, there's a big race between Oxford and Cambridge every yep. year, yep. the boat race. Uh, so that's for those who don't, don't know. It's it's a huge race. It's two eights, a dual, head to head on the River Thames. It's about, I think it's four point two miles, whatever the fuck that means. Six uh, <laughs> k around six k uh, with the stream uh, in London. About two hundred thousand people watching on the banks and uh, about a million watching on TV. So that's for rowing. That's really big numbers. Um, and so I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to study in uh, in the UK in Oxford. I'm going to try and um, and qualify for that uh, that eight. And the uh, funny thing is that Roman is is coming as well. And it wasn't planned, uh, but we ended up going at the same year. We he does a, he does a different course, um, water science management, and I'm doing the MBA. So not the same course, but we're both going to try out for the for the rowing team and and keep training at a at a good level. Um, and then after that. It's on uh, one year only master, so um, I'm going to be done uh, in September 2022, and from there it's only two years to Paris. So it's going to be really tempting to to go for it for sure. Uh, at the moment, if I have to give an answer, uh, I'm saying yes, I'm going for it. Uh, but I have to see how and and uh, with who and and how I do things. Uh, if I know what, if I want to make a medal in Paris, I, I have to change some things for sure. Well, I think just. You know, it's as I said before, it's, it's so close to home, right? I mean, it's it might be the closest you'll ever get to sort of like a, a home Olympic. So I mean, kind of, you get a lot of Swiss fans, I can imagine, coming along to to cheer you on again if fans are allowed by twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
which, I mean, again, I know we're obviously talking to you only a few weeks after it. You, you mentioned sort of the disappointment, but do you think it's something that in the future you can look back and go, well, we finished fifth in an Olympic Games. I mean, that's that's something that, okay, it's not a medal, but, I mean, that's still a pretty, got a nice ring to it. Fifth in an Olympic Games is no mean feat. Well, um, maybe in 10 years. Um, but as I said, hopefully I can uh, correct that in 2024 and, and come away with the medal and maybe uh, then it's going to give me a, a sight on my on my full career and obviously I'm going to be really happy, but even, even if that doesn't happen, or if I decide to quit rowing after, after the, the, the master at Oxford, um, I'm sure I'm, I'm always going to be disappointed at the results for sure. But, um, another thing which is sure is that, um, my sporting rowing career, uh, shaped me in who I am today. And, uh, I can take that with me my whole life. And that's, definitely something I don't regret and definitely something I'm proud of. And uh, that's part of me. And that's going to, as I told you, like the rowers, we're pretty tough and we're pretty adaptable. So that uh, we're hardworking. So that's something you, you learn um, in the process. And uh, that's something you can use um, with every, anything you're doing really. So obviously that's, that's all, um, that's all good. Uh, and then the end result going to be disappointed, but that's force and that's a high level. It's not easy. One thing we're, we're going to wrap up this interview uh, with a series of fun questions. So I'm very excited actually to hear your answers from, because as I said, you're a first European guest on, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this will go. But one thing I'd love to quickly find out from you on your website, you've got one of your, your hobbies is cooking. Now give me an idea of what Swiss cooking's like. I mean, is it just cheese fondue or is it kind of, is there more to it than that? Like, I mean, if you're cooking a Swiss feast for an Australian, like what am, what am I eating? What, what's on the menu? Well, if I'm really going to go Swiss, I'm going to have to go with the, with the fondue, but uh, <laughs> that's not what I cook on a daily basis, 100%. <laughs> that's not even cooking. You just put cheese in the pot and you melt it. So yeah, it's not really easy. Uh, but no, I like, uh, wait, it's pretty practical because I have to eat a lot and I I like to eat and I like food and I like to cook it. So that's a good thing because if I didn't like food, it would be even tougher, but I really cook anything. I don't have a, a, a to go, um, a main dish to go. I just, yeah, I like, uh, I like Asian stuff. I like uh, spicy stuff, um, a lot of flavor, a lot of herbs, uh, like a good piece of meat, obviously. So yeah, just having fun in the kitchen as much as I can. That's good. Well, I, I got to say, you guys have the best cheese in the world. I mean, come on, Swiss cheese. Well, that's for is, sure. Is that that's not the for best sure. cheese. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, my favorite cheese. Like, not even a word of a lie. I had a former radio show where our we had a we ended on sort of dumb questions, even dumber than the ones I'm about to ask you. And the first question we would always ask was, "What is your favorite type of cheese?" So uh, I, I always got excited when somebody said Swiss cheese. I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. Best cheese well, out there." Hold on there, because Swiss cheese doesn't mean anything. We've like we've hundreds of different cheese, and that's just all called like, cheese for you guys. Like, no, <laughs> you no, it's Swiss. like you can't. No, we don't call cheese cheese. We call it by their names. Ah, yes. <laughs> for example, it's funny. It's funny because just yesterday I went uh, out with a mate for for um, for lunch, and we had the. Uh, you know what the raclette is? No, I don't. So it's also melted cheese, but it's not. So fondue is where you put the cheese in a pot, you melt it, you you um put you dip bread into yep. it with yep. a fork, and raclette is like um, a big wheel of cheese. You could you cut it in half, and then you put it under 
um, a heater, like a, a, a small grill. You've sold me already. Heat, I want this. <laughs> Sounds heat, amazing. The, <laughs> the heat comes from above on the on the half wheel of cheese. Wow. And you melt you melt the top, and then you 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 pull it with a knife, and it goes on your plate, and you eat it on top of uh, some potato or something like that. Wow. Um, you, are, you are making me just want to come to Switzerland even more now. And so we had that yesterday. <laughs> it was a, a, a place we, which serves especially that. And they have like um, so many types of cheese, but it's all the same. Yeah, you will call it the same cheese, but there's a, a subtle flavor change depending on where you buy the cheese for, from. And you could just go as much as you can, as many as you can, and ended up having 17 of them. So. Wow, uh, <laughs> well, um, not the whole cheese, but seventeen uh, slices or whatever. I was gonna say seventeen whole things of cheese. No, like, no, no, no. Jeez, no. this is. Um, um, but yeah, so wow. I was really Swiss. I was really Swiss yesterday. Which <laughs> you've, I mean, at least you've got this. I mean, what what can I offer you? Have some Vegemite. Wow, like no one likes Vegemite. That's crap. Like you know, I'm liking this. I want to have some sort of you know cuisine from Australia where we can give that to the world. A bit <laughs> well, more you're pretty good at barbecue, aren't you? Yeah, true. That's true. And, and meat pies. We we're we're good at the mm. old meat pies, which are, you know are very stable here. As I said. Barnaby, we're going to close out with a series of fun questions now. Um, these are based on a Team Canada questionnaire that they ask their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang and just some uh, interesting ones here. As always, I offer the chance to our guests to uh, complete some homework. There's a drawing element if you want to. Uh, don't have to, but if you if you are a, a great drawer, by all means, there's some... Uh, nope. No? Okay, all right. No hidden talents going on there. Now, I usually like to choose an athlete from the same sport, but sadly... The website doesn't have any rowers, so I've chosen someone from rugby because I thought, well, that's close. So it, it was as close as I could get there. So we'll see how we go. All right. If you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Uh, summer or winter. Give me one for both if you like. I can imagine maybe more winter for, for Switzerland, but I'm sure there's some summer possibilities. I'll have to go, I'll have to go with... Uh... Sag Moritz for the winter in Switzerland uh, yep. because we've tried a few times but <laughs> didn't work <laughs> out the last few years um, and then summer um, oh that's a tough one um, actually Tokyo was a really good one if it wasn't for COVID um, so go yeah. Tokyo again that yeah, works I'm going to stay with Tokyo yeah well, yeah, I mean, listen, what had the youth, was it the winter last year from memory, did they not? And you've yep. got the Olympic Museum there. So, I mean, it's Yeah, yeah, with of... the, we're in the, I'm currently in the, in the uh, Olympic, Olympic um, uh, capital. Ah, so there Officially. you go. It was meant to yeah. be then, Barnaby. It just, it was, you know. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> is, is there something in the water there that they just have to produce Olympians in because they're the capital of the Olympics, basically? You know, it's like, you no, must no. produce all these Olympians or we're moving no, the, just... the museum to Athens. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, it's, it's producers that way. I, I think that would be interesting. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? Skiing. Skiing? Free riding, skiing, yeah, 100%. Now, I, if I can. I, I tried skiing this year. I've told this to I, I tell this to skiers. I just embarrass myself. But like, I, I got on skis and I'm like, yeah, I'm Australian. I don't know how to do this. So like, are you just are you born with skis on your on your feet in Switzerland? Is this just like, hey, welcome to the world. Have some skis. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, at least for me, for sure. <laughs> it's got like in Canada, they're born with skates on their feet, right? Like, yeah, I can't, I can't go, I can't go as much as I can now uh, anymore. But when up until I started rowing seriously, I was going every weekend and every holidays, all the time. So. Uh, still have a 
pretty decent level and uh i really enjoy it like in the fresh snow powder jumping cliffs uh yeah if Perfect. i could choose one thing to do i would do that for sure Skiing. i like it uh what is the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you um Um, don't roll like an angry Muppet. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I can see why that would be problematic. So, um, hmm, okay. Oh, there was a, a, a running gag as well with my coach. Uh, so the Muppet was from the Kiwi guy. And then from the, <laughs> the Swiss guy who coaches the most of our career, he, he always used to say just, well, in French, but just don't fuck it up. <laughs> Like, oh, thanks th- thanks for that one we didn't think yeah. about that one <laughs> I, I was fucking things up before but now yeah, yeah, that now you that said that it, yeah, yeah, okay yeah. well that's that's it all right all right thank you coach cheers i can, <laughs> exactly. I can see why you had to like get rid of him all the time and keep coming back to him it's kind of like you know no, just, he was leaving and we wanted him back actually right okay no he was go. he was he was pretty good but uh, okay. he had a few a few funny Just ones like that. Avoid the kiwis. That's what we're learning. Uh, <laughs> the what is your favorite workout? Huh. Um, I, I like a good a good old pump session, but that's not really um, uh, that's not really good for rowing, actually, uh, unfortunately. But if I have to pick a specific rowing one, we have this one, a pretty standard one that a lot of people do across the world. It's a uh, 30 minutes on the rowing machine uh stroke rate 20 so you're not allowed to go higher than that and just pull as hard as you can pretty short a lot of power involved pretty efficient uh so yeah like that one again i'll try that one out at the gym i'm going to take some notes actually to see see how i go i'll send you my numbers and you can be embarrassed and go ben don't don't get into rowing you, you've got no future <laughs> in it uh if you could have lunch with any one person who would it be Ooh. Um, let's say if it's an athlete, I'd say, uh, Conor McGregor. Yep. Yep. That'd be, be fun. fun. Lunch. That'd be yeah. pretty fun to have lunch with him. <laughs> a few choice words at that, that lunch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You'd have to learn some, learn some English there from, from Conor. <laughs> like some new words to use there, uh, basically. Yeah. It's so. definitely entertaining. So that's for sure. Yeah. That would be, that would be fun. Uh, what is your favorite sandwich? Ooh, we're not that big on sandwich here, but uh, it depends on the bread, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bread, that, that's where everything happens. Um, I'd say classic ham and Swiss cheese mm. with good bread. Sounds good. Yeah, the bread, the bread is the important part, factor. Exactly. Right? Like it's, exactly. You've got to have the good bread. You know, it's 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 right there in in the sandwich bread. Yes, absolutely. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Ooh. Um, I'd say teleportation. Yep. Makes travel a bit easier. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. You know. And I'm kind of a. I'm pretty impatient, so I'd like to. To be that quick. <laughs> Works very well. I like it. What is the best candy in the world? Swiss chocolate. Swiss chocolate. Yes. <laughs> Can't go easy. past it, right? Yeah, easy answer. That's what I was saying. Like, cheese and, and, and chocolate. Like, I mean, that's yeah. the best. Like, again, going back to Australia, Vegemite. Wow. Like, I mean, come on. Like, if you're foods you want to be associated with, cheese and chocolate. Like, 
that right there. That, does, that count as a, chocolate. does that count as a candy though? Yeah, well, I'm counting it. Absolutely. I mean, chocolate covered yeah, candy, I, everything, you know? <laughs> I don't like, I don't, I, I, like, I don't really eat any like candy, like just, you know, like proper candy. So, I, but I always have sweet chocolate with me. Always. Have it there. Perfect. Always like bring it. it with me on, on training camps and everything. <laughs> I This interview is maybe the hungriest I've ever been after every interview. I'm going to have to go uh, chow down some stuff after this. As a kid, who was your favorite sports team? Ooh, um, I go with the English rugby team. Okay. Yep. We're not too fond of them after 2003, but, uh, you know, we've got an excuse yeah. for that, right? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, sure the, I'm sure the French aren't too keen on the Swiss football team right now. So, uh, not at the moment, not, probably not. <laughs> people have grudges. All right, we have grudges. Australia, we don't like the Italian football team based on the 2006 World Cup. So we, we hold grudges <laughs> in this country. Don't worry. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh, um, long term, uh, I'm pretty... Pretty pleased in Switzerland, uh, so I'm going to stay with that. But that doesn't mean I don't want to live a few years abroad. But uh, I mean, here, as you said it, like the scenery, the mountains, the lakes, uh, the life quality, we're, we're, we're pretty spoiled. You're pretty lucky there, I think. And the thing that yeah. the thing that I also love about uh, and I, I've not been to Europe, but like I love hearing stories from travelers in Europe and and ever that is that. Again, like what? how many hours is it for you to, to go to France or to, to Germany? Like, you know, a couple hours, you're over a border. And it's, it's yeah, unique. Yeah, you, you, drive, you drive there. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you can walk in there depending where you live. Whereas I'm from an island state in an island country, basically in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. I'm that weird person who, even if I go to the States or Canada and I cross a border into another state, I'm weird. I get too excited. People are like, why? It's, you just... You've gone from, you know, there to there. Like, what's so exciting? I'm like, well, you realize where I'm from. <laughs> so make the most of that. That's a pretty cool thing to have. So, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I like the fact that you can just go in. Do you, I mean, you wouldn't even call that barely going to another country. Is it? I'm sure you're going to France. You're just like, yeah, it's just going to France for the day. You know? Yeah. yeah. France, Italy is pretty, pretty close, pretty common. Just kind of works that way. Um, when you were little, what was one thing that you always thought I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that might be the best answer I've had to that. That's a standard answer. That that works. Yep. Simple. It's a very deep question and then it's like a simple answer. Perfect. I love it. Last one, and I I, I don't know uh, if this is something that you, like if you're you're the joker in the team or kind of it works. What is your favourite joke? Oh. I don't have a go-to joke. I just make jokes as they come. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> like just joke on the situation and stuff. Yeah, but I'm I'm kind of a joker sometimes. Yeah. So there's not like a standard Swiss joke that you can just sort of you know mm, let out. Uh, not really. That's that's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you have a, a go-to joke. <laughs> yeah, go go to the national joke of Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> well, the latest one. The latest one. Has to be, but it's not funny. But it's just because of the context. Um, there's a um, there's a French, um, a Dutch, and uh, an English in a bar. Where is the Swiss? I don't know. Where is the Swiss? 
had the quarterfinals. <laughs> hey, hey. Good. Yep, yep. Oh, but that's not even funny. Well, well done. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Tell you what, if you ever get a New Zealand coach again, hit me up. I'll tell you some good New Zealand jokes that you can really piss them off on. So, uh, all right, that's, that that that's one for for a future for future time. Barnaby, before I let you go, if people want to follow your journey, uh, kind of stay up to date social media. I know you're a fan of getting the followers on Instagram, so uh, make sure you hit that up. And also, again, plug your website. It's a, it's a great website. Yeah, so Instagram definitely um, Barn Barnaby underscore D. Uh, I just took a break from it uh, since Tokyo, but I'm definitely gonna get back to it eventually. Um, and then the the website um, it's www dot dollars so d e l a r z e uh, scroll dash. over how do you, how, yeah dash rowing. Yep. Um, .ch. So uh, my surname, dash rowing, .ch. Hit it um, up and, and read then, all these uh, yeah. fun facts but that I couldn't have I'm got more, to. I'm that. more, definitely more active on, on my Instagram. Which I saw the uh, the little video that uh, you and Roman did and sort of the, the this and that sort of one and uh, they, they asked a question oh, about yeah, who has more yeah. Instagram now. On that video, you had, I think, 6,000 followers you mentioned. You're up to 7,500 yeah. now. So you're trying to crack the 10K? Do you reckon you can yeah, get there? Yeah, but it's it's a struggle in rowing. It's not a very uh, popular sport. So, um, like, the, the, the most known rowers, they have, like, 30, 40K, uh, which is peanuts compared to, to other sports. So, but, yeah, it's just... It's just, it's just fun. We're going to crack probably- this. We're going to crack this so badly. Like, this is the thing. Like, you talk about this. Like, let's make rowing great on Instagram. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know let's, what you can do. Let's make rowing great. Yeah, um, exactly. Hashtag yeah, make it's- growing great on Instagram. That works. And then trend it. And then we can <laughs> get hashtag, you to 10K. Hashtag, hashtag more is more. Yes, yes, <laughs> that worked. Barnaby, it's been an absolute pleasure learning about your career, your Olympic journey, everything else in between. And Switzerland too. I really want to come there and eat a lot of cheese. But uh, we really do appreciate your time. Best of luck moving forward for, for Paris and everything else in between. And we'll get you back on after 2024 with a gold medal around your neck. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Up to me then. But uh, thanks a lot for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. And a massive, massive thanks there to Barnaby. Just a lot of fun learning so much about him and the sport. And check his website out. It's a great website. And I really do want to go to Switzerland now. What can I say? It it is a country that uh, really has just shot up the list and makes me want to go there. So, Barnaby, maybe you should get a job working for the Swiss Tourism Board because you're, you're helping. You're helping sell the country out there to Australians. I mean, cheese and chocolate. What's not to love? That's 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 enough. You don't need the world's best tennis player. You just need cheese and chocolate. And sign me up. I am there quicker than you can say fondue. So uh, thanks again to Barnaby. A lot of fun. And uh, we obviously look forward to seeing him come back bigger and better than ever in Paris in 2024. Got so many great guests coming your way in the coming weeks. So many more to bring you that I can't even begin to uh, let you know who's on because I want to keep it a surprise. We want to kind of keep it open-ended for you to find out who is coming on the show. And we'll just give a bit of a teaser that we've got some great athletes coming, of course, on the show. But even that we have some sort of non-athletes that you're going to be very, very fascinated by. Of course, we've spoken to some broadcasters, some journalists, but we're going to learn a little bit more about Olympic marketing soon. So that's an episode that you won't want to miss. It's a very fascinating chat. Speaking to a very prominent marketer 
who is uh, renowned as one of the best marketers out there when it comes to the Olympic Games, and not just the Olympic Games, but bids for the Olympics and sort of the process involved with that. So a bit of a teaser there for you real Olympic geeks out there that want to learn a little bit more, not just from the athletes, but the people behind some of the Olympic bids and everything along those lines too. So stay tuned for that. And the best way to stay tuned for that is by hitting us up on social media, search for Off The Podium, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a message. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If there's anybody you would like us to bring on the show, we are always open to hear who you would like to hear from. And also while you're online, hit us up on all the podcast platforms, subscribe to the show, subscribe and leave the feedback. We want to see the ratings, the feedback, everything helps us along the way and spread the show out there a little bit more as well. Big thanks once more to Barnaby and a big thanks to you for listening to the show. My name is Ben, this has been Off The Podium and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Tell me never,